the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome today Michael Pope. Michael is the Vice President of Reimbursement and Professional Advocacy for the American Academy of PAs. And let me tell you, he has a wealth of information on PA practice and reimbursement. He gave a talk at a recent Indianapolis meeting, and I'm excited to have him back on the podcast. Michael, welcome. Thank you, Sam. It's my pleasure to be here, and it's been great working with you for so many years. Absolutely. Back today with part four, payer policies for PA services. So, Michael, there are so many players with multiple plans and policies. I think you had one of those busy slides that showed it. How do you make sense out of all that? How do you know? I mean, is that an HR thing or is that something that you just need to be familiar with? How does that work? Well, I will say, Sam, that 10 years ago, seven years ago, this was really an issue because if a PA came to me and said, am I covered for X, Y, and Z or a procedure? The first question is, are we talking Medicare? Medicaid, workers' comp, commercial payers, Medicaid managed care. We have to go through the whole list to kind of determine even what framework we're going to be in in terms of policy. One of the good things is that over the last few years, most of the payers, both on the public side with Medicare and Medicaid and the commercial side, we've gotten a lot more consistency in terms of how PAs are adjudicated in terms of the policies for coverage and reimbursement. So it's gotten a lot better. But the fact is, there are still differences in how payers work. And oftentimes, there is the assumption that, well, if Medicare says this, then it must be true for Medicaid and all the commercial payers. Not necessarily. Medicare is a very regulatory-heavy program. Lots of rules for every healthcare professional, not just PAs. And there are conditions that you have to put in place and statutory authority and conditions of participation and conditions of payment. So there are a lot of issues to go through with Medicaid or that you don't necessarily find with Medicaid or with commercial payers. So I would encourage practices and PAs not to be caught up in thinking that everything has to follow Medicare's guidelines. It really is payer specific. And from the commercial payer side, oftentimes there's very little information in terms of detail that deal with regulatory policy. Oftentimes the commercial payer is simply saying, practice in accordance with state law and you've met our guidelines. You had mentioned that the payer rules kind of depend on the practice setting, and there are several regulations that must be met for federal reimbursement. I was hoping you might go through some of that for our listeners. If you're in a hospital setting, for example, you have to deal with privileging and credentialing guidelines, and Medicare says you have to follow those if you have them in place. The hospital bylaws. Uh, there are a lot of hospitals that are a bit behind the curve, for example, at this particular time. And that Medicare policy has changed and evolved and made it a lot easier for PAs to provide care. I mean, a PA can do under Medicare guidelines, uh, history admission H&P, for example, and admit that patient to a service. Oftentimes, the bylaws of hospitals haven't been updated in five, 10 years, and they don't allow that same thing to occur, which means that Medicare is ready to pay for this service when provided by PAs, but the hospital may not allow it because they've got antiquated bylaws. So I would encourage PAs to make sure that whatever setting you're in, be it a hospital or an ambulatory surgical center or a skilled nursing facility, make sure that you're up to date and make sure that your institution understands what the new rules are that allow PAs to function in a more autonomous fashion, because that's simply a win for both the employer and the PA in terms of the PA being used at the top of their license 
and also being able to be paid and reimbursed for all of those services. So again, for every healthcare professional, all these different practice settings have different rules in play, and you simply have to know which one is important for your particular setting. You're working in a practice and a hospital, you've got two sets of rules to follow. Every healthcare professional has to follow the same set of rules. They're not unique to PAs or NPs, for example. But just have to know those and then make sure that you are not putting yourself under some regulatory constraints that you thought was in place seven years ago that's been removed by Medicare because of AAPA's advocacy and you're not being used to the full extent of your education and training. And I, I think it's really important. I want to emphasize the scope of practice. I've seen people get in trouble for not knowing that they had even signed a document, let alone what was on it. So make sure that you're aware of that. When you sign that check box, yes, to do IVs, to put on cast, whatever, check, 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 check. Make sure you're aware of all that. You don't want to be caught doing something that you haven't been signed off or have a scope of practice to do. Michael, this is a fun part for me, sort of. Can you describe some common Medicare reimbursement myths? I think I've heard all of these in my years as a PA, but I was hoping you might go through some of these because I still hear this at meetings. Absolutely. So I would suggest that about 25% of all information or questions that I get at the AAPA national office are based on either misinformation or completely wrong information. And I never know whether that's conspiracy or confusion at work, but the fact is it's just inappropriate information. And it's important for PAs to be able to diffuse or deflect and provide good information that disputes these things. So there are a lot of folks who think that PAs can't treat new patients in the office setting, for example. That's not true, and it hasn't been true. What most people might be saying when they make that statement is that if I happen to be billing under Medicare's incident supervision, or I'm trying to bill this service under the physician, even though it's been provided by a PA, at that point, using that provision, yeah, there are some restrictions in terms of PAs seeing new patients. But the basic Medicare guidelines are that PAs can see everything that comes into their practice or hospital. A brand new patient that's never been there before, an established patient with a new medical problem, anything out there, Medicare says PAs can see, treat, and be reimbursed for without the direct involvement of a physician. And so these are just misunderstandings in terms of what they think is required for a PA to be able to provide care and get billed for appropriately. Some people think that a doctor has to be on site in whatever environment you happen to be in, in order for a PA to provide care and get reimbursed. And that simply isn't true. Some folks think that a doc has to see every patient that a PA sees at some point, either before, after, or some point during the, the visit or encounter. And again, just isn't true under Medicare purposes and is not true under commercial payers as well. Some folks think that a doc has to co-sign a PA's chart. Well, that is not a Medicare requirement. It may well be your hospital's requirement in terms of their bylaws. And if there is a practice that wants to do that as standard operating procedure, or if your hospital requires it, that could be done. And if that's your requirement in the facility, for example, then Medicare says you ought to live up to it if that's what you put in your bylaws. But it should be clear, this is not a requirement from Medicare. And oftentimes, as I said before, these old rules stem from the belief that, well, Medicare might have required it 20 years ago but they've changed, they've upgraded their program, make sure that your institution, your employer has also upgraded along with that so that we can get rid of some of these really extraneous rules that people think are still in play that only serve to make practice and workflow less efficient. 
because there is no value in terms of quality of care or patient outcome when these rules and regulations are put in place and they really aren't helping the patient or access to care. I'm just amazed that some people don't get that. I hope it's just PAs having the question and not their HR departments or billing departments. But this is why we do podcasts and why we have meetings. Michael, what about commercial payer policy versus Medicare policy? Which is more stringent? Well, clearly Medicare policy is much more stringent than commercial payers. You know, I kind of lament the fact that sometimes when I go to a provider manual of a major payer, there are two or three lines that describe what PAs and MPs can do. And sometimes you want a little more definition. But also, if what the payer is saying is just make sure you provide care according to state law guidelines, there's a certain level of freedom in that as well. So we keep detailed information and charts on the different payers throughout the country to make sure that we do a slightly deeper dive, to make sure that we have an understanding as to what the rules are. We keep that data in our files back at the office, and we encourage PAs that if you have a question or if you're trying to get additional information and that's not coming from your billing and coding representatives, feel free to shoot us an email or give us a call. We're happy to provide that information to you and that you can then transfer over to your billing and coding folks. But commercial payers have very limited information about PA practice. Medicare is regulatory heavy across the board. Great. Thanks, Michael. Listeners, please join us next week when we have a discussion with Michael Poe regarding PA scope of practice and Medicare billing rules. Thank you for joining the Ortho PAC podcast. We also welcome you to visit our website, paos.org, where members can download virtual conference content and get Category 1 CME. Also, if you're a non-member and you're interested in our CME content, please visit the aapa.org Learning Central for the PAOS virtual content.